guys, what's going on? Thanks for tuning in to the Your Forest Podcast. This podcast today is brought to you by Greenlink Forestry. They have been providing, well, raising the bar on uh, resource inventory services for over 15 years. They use the best technology, the newest technology, so that they can see more of what's out there. They can see more of the forest, more of what's going on. They can see the relationship better. Uh, so yeah, seeing more of it is good. Uh, provides a better inventory, right? So better management starts with a better inventory. Simple as that. Can't polish a turd. <laughs> so anyways, moving on. Uh, today we've got Brett Casey on today. He is a forest fire ranger out of uh, Peace River District. And yeah, he's we, we first met doing Hell Attack about uh, just under 10 years ago. And he's since got his degree in forestry and uh, yeah, he's an awesome guy. I think you guys are going to like listen to him. We talk a lot about fire behavior and fire history and kind of a whole bunch of other stuff. So yeah, so let's get right to it. Here's Brett and I. Yeah, so there we go. We're recording. Sweet. How's it going? <laughs> Not bad, man. Thanks for coming in. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, sweet. So uh, yeah, I, like, I haven't seen you in a while. So what are you, what are you doing right now? Where are you working? What's... Uh, What's going on? Yeah, since, since we last uh, saw each other working together doing Hack in Slave Lake, I, I continued, did a couple more years of that. I then went to University of New Brunswick and got my forestry degree. Oh, you did? I didn't even... Okay, I thought you were still... Okay, gotcha. Yeah, right yeah. so I, I did the... Nice. I got a little bit the best of both worlds. I got some Eastern forestry and some Western forestry from Nate here. Yeah, it's pretty diverse. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, that was kind of the plan. And then I went and did a year of sector boss, Man Up Soup in Rocky Mountain House. Okay. And then for the last three years, I've been a wildfire ranger out of the Peace River District. Nice. Yeah, That's Peace awesome. River Forest Area now. So yeah, all right. It's always changing it, right? For sure, yeah. Every new government. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. got to put your stamp on it. Yeah, I've been through a few iterations now, for sure. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. Um, so... Yeah, just like maybe let's just start off just talking about what you do as a ranger. I think people like people hear that they see like Red Green Show and they see Buddy up in the the tower, right? They think that's what rangers do. I think that's probably a misconception. So yeah, might yeah. want to yeah, just go into that. Talk about what you do kind of day to day or yeah. Yeah, yeah. So wildfire ranger, it's the entry level full time position with the the government there. So you're a bit of jack of all trades or Jill of all trades there as a wildfire ranger. Um, in Peace River, we have currently seven rangers. Okay. So there's quite a few different jobs that a ranger could do. Myself, I look after the Hell Attack program. I'm also in charge of all the, the community burning, all the hazard reduction burning around uh, the communities around Peace River. Okay. And I'm on a few different working groups. I'm on the Fall Protection Task Force, so yeah. I do the tower rescue training oh, okay. in the district. Yeah. And what else? Then we got the... Fireline Equipment Working Group, which I'm off to tomorrow afternoon. Sweet. Uh, what else do I do there? I look after a couple towers in yeah. the winter. I do some FOMP work, Forest Operations Monitoring Program. So yeah. we take a look at um, some of the harvesting that's been going on in the area. Mm -hmm. And I do some RSA surveys. Right. Yeah. Cool. And yeah, and so also help out a little bit with forest health as well. Yeah, just everything. Got lots, lots going on. That's a little awesome. bit of everything. Yeah, yeah, not necessarily a specialist in one thing, but uh, a little bit of a little bit of everything. It's yeah. nice, and then you can kind of see where your strong suit is and maybe start to stream a little bit. Well, yeah, that's just it, right? Like we had, I had Anne uh, Norman on last week. We were talking with Work Wild. Did you listen to that one? I didn't hear no, that but one. No. Yeah, she was. We were talking about all the different careers and stuff like that, mm -hmm. and. Uh, yeah, how people I, I, we don't really don't, no one really knows what they want to do, right? And how they get into something, and you're like, okay, and then you slowly kind of just adjust course as you go, right? And yeah, that's exactly that's perfect for that, right? You start off with a really broad scope of things you do, and just kind of narrow it down to figure it out what you want to specialize in later, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. And in between all of that, you fight fire as well. Yeah, so. which is awesome, <laughs> the best job ever, right? Yeah, that's, I'm still jealous that I don't get to do that anymore. That's the best part of it. I've been trying sure. to convince Derek, my boss, to get a crew together for like emergency situations right because we're all foresters here right so it'd be yeah we're, we're totally applicable we have the you know the pedigree to pull it off but mm -hmm. he plays it every once in a while right but it's yeah it's an awesome job i love that job so much yeah yeah, yeah if you get another year like 2015 or something i imagine it'd be all hands on deck so yeah be calling people in or this year in bc or yeah, yeah that's right yeah, yeah in the western states as well i actually did i texted uh i texted the hell attack coordinator in slave lake in 2015 as well and i was like hey just so you know <laughs> I'm only like three years out or two years out. Like I'm, I can, I can come back. He's like, all right, I'll keep that in mind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> By that time, it was already kind of, you know, shit had already hit the fan. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was quite the season. That was my first year full time. So basically, my first year outside of the crew system. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, there's these thousand hectare fires, ten thousand hectare fires, hundred thousand hectare fires popping up, and they'd go and throw me out. Uh, 
until you're in charge or in, yeah. in, in, <laughs> in more of a leadership role on some of these fires. And you yeah, were, you, you learn pretty quick. Were you a crew leader in Slave? Yeah, for two years. For two years you were. Okay, yeah. So you had you had some experience like running the like tankers and stuff and telling, just organizing those things, right? Yeah, so yeah. So it wasn't like you were just a... Uh, just a member, and then all of a sudden, like, hey, by the way, you're in charge of this campaign fire. <laughs> so yeah. that's good. So you had some yeah. experience. So yeah, the big learning curve is working with heavy equipment, and then yeah. just the sheer amount of people and the yeah. distance as well. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a it's a big one. It's those campaign fires. They always such a big production, right? Like mm-hmm. there's there's so much. I always feel like when we were when we were at on one, like I think we went to the Richardson fire in 2010. 2011? Yeah. I forget. 2011, yeah. Yeah, and it was, that was what, like over six, it was almost 700,000 hectares, I think. It was huge. And I remember, I I felt like I was in the military because we were in all these like little tents and everybody's all kind of in the same area. We're all just kind of finding our own spot. But then when you wake up in the morning, you have like this big briefing and there's a, there's a whiteboard and they're talking about strategy and like who's going to go where and what's going to happen. And there's, everybody's got like a different ranking and it's all, Mm -hmm. yeah, I felt it was pretty intense. Yeah. But it's, it's it's an exciting job though. It's not like it's, it's, it's not like it's uh, like intense in a bad way where there's like people are you know looking down on you or anything. Everyone's just like yeah, like everyone's excited to get out there and work, right? It's awesome. But yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's, cool. it's intense as a college or university student, maybe and seeing this level of organization. And oh yeah, yeah. The the deployment is it's quite incredible to see. It I is. think. And oh yeah, like the, the number of people that they can get to do the exact things they need to get done every day is amazing, right? Like it's, yeah, it's pretty impressive. For sure. Yeah. And Alberta, we're really, I think we're leaders when it comes to a lot of this stuff. You put us in a remote area and all of a sudden they still have internet and they can print off these incident action plans and all kinds of things. And yeah. Yeah. No, it's pretty wild. Like you, you think about trying to get dropped off on a fire in the middle of nowhere, right? In Northern Alberta. And it's mm-hmm. just like the, the helicopter is amazing, right? They can drop you off right next to the damn thing. And there's, you're, you're hovering over a swamp or something like that. Or it's just, yeah, the, the, the yeah, the skill level and the, like the capacity level is just huge. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. So you're, uh, you're, you're the coordinator too for the, the helicopter coordinator. For the helicopter crews. Sure. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. pretty sweet. Yeah. Yeah. That's a cool job. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty nice. I, I really enjoy it for sure. And it's exciting to see everyone come back at the end of the year and yeah. trying to, to coordinate and plan for schedules and crews in yeah. the spring and trying to get a hold of people they're all over different yeah. parts of the world traveling doing <laughs> yeah. what they do or yeah. in school and yeah uh, yeah and then everyone comes back and everyone's so excited to see everyone and it's, oh, it's, it's such an awesome yeah like anybody listening that wants to do hack like i have my cousin actually he he was talking to me young cousin uh last year and he he did he's on uh unit crew enslaved this year right okay, and he was, yeah. he was talking to me about it and just kind of curious about what was going on and he got on and he's it sounds like he's loving it right like it's such yeah. an awesome job it's just so friendly everyone's having a good time working hard but it's yeah it's it's worth the time for sure yeah there's something about people that go through adversity together <laughs> i think you know oh yeah it's, totally when you tell people what you do oh we get dropped off and then we get hit with rain or hail oh. and it's smoky and then it's hot and yeah. you're running through ash and putting fire out and, getting dropped off in a swamp and you're soaking wet and the bugs are eating you and you tell people that and they're like why would you do that but when it's all said and done at the end of the day and you're flying home and the sun's going down and you start to nod off in the back seat it's just it's the best thing ever and then totally no i'm right there with you like staying out overnighting on a fire right when it gets down to almost zero degrees and it's and you're wet and you're cold and you don't have any dry clothes and you're eating dried out mres right (laughs) they just taste like garbage but yeah it's i have a I have the one really specific memory where like you're talking about leaving a fire on like a busy day. Right. And we were in this medium, uh, medium helicopter. So people don't know what that, whatever, look it up. It's a, it's like, <laughs> it looks, it looks like a military helicopter. It's yeah, like mid-size. It's like a Huey. Yeah. It's a mid-size helicopter. Anyways. Um, and there's only four of us. So there's so much room, right? We're just lounging in this, in this helicopter we're on our way back. We're all covered in soot and we're just, like totally exhausted and, and just want to get home and get some food and but like he had a good day right like we're all big smiles on our faces and the sun's kind of going down and it's just this like perfect scene i felt like i was in a movie yeah. right like was, i was like this could be the ending to a sweet movie like it was but yeah it's 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 a really like euphoric experience doing that job it's awesome absolutely yeah, yeah definitely recommend it to everyone oh yeah totally no mm-hmm. it's, it's it's the best yeah. um yeah. So, like, what other? I don't know. What, what else do you think that the public might want to know about ranger being a ranger? Kind of. I guess. Well, I guess I can explain what the background is with that. I guess, right? Like the. Sure, yeah. So, like the schooling. So, uh, yeah, you have to get a diploma or a degree. Yeah. Right, to become a 
fire ranger, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. a minimum of two-year diploma there Yeah, through one of the, the schools there, either Nate or MCFT on the East Coast, Fleming. Yeah, there's a bunch of them. There's a bunch of them, yeah. yeah. Or the university. One, yeah. One of the universities. Like, how many universities offer the forestry program? I don't even know in Canada. UBC does? Yeah, UBC, UNBC. U of A. U of A. I think University of Toronto offers one. Yeah. I don't know if it's a forestry degree. I think they do a master's. Oh, forestry, okay. yeah, and then University of New Brunswick. Isn't there like a, a one in Ontario's like Lakeside or Oh Lakehead? That's Lakehead, right, Thunder right. Bay. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, right, yeah, Bay. it's a really good school. Yeah. And then as well, Victoria Island University, which I think offers a two-year program. Okay, so the diploma, yeah, mm-hmm. sweet. Yeah, so there's like there's lots out there, right? Unfortunately, I don't know if there's any in like Manitoba or Saskatchewan, which is odd because Saskatchewan's got a lot of forests. Absolutely, yeah. I don't understand what that is. Like, I think if you were to look at, they probably have as much forest as we do. Yeah, maybe more. Yeah. I don't even know. Yeah, and perhaps they do have something. I just I never hear of people coming. They must have something. Uh, I think they do have something. I'm pretty sure they at least have. Yeah, I know. Me too. Really, (laughs) they at least have a one-year program. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I think a friend of mine got a one-year program. Okay, like a technician or something. Opening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sweet. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's how you become a fire ranger. That's a job. I, I, I think when I first started for she, I was kind of interested in that one. Like it's a, Mm -hmm. it's an interesting job because it has so much, so many applications. Right, you have. You can do basically anything. Absolutely. So it's you, you get exposure to all of those things. It's pretty sweet. Absolutely. And the fact that wildfire works with the foresters and the forest health people. Yeah. Right. We all help each other out. So in the summer when it's busy, it's all hands on deck. Yeah. Come fall, winter, we yeah. help the foresters, the forest health people out. And even if it's slow in the summer, right? Yeah. And we're flying around looking for fires. Yeah. If we see... Uh, an outbreak or possibly an outbreak of a forest pathogen or something like that or a forest pest then we're letting the forest health people know and we're going out to do surveys yeah it's just constantly monitoring and keeping track of what's going on out there yeah it's pretty sweet that there's no there's not too much of a uh like a break in between those right like you have some organizations you have you got like the engineers and you got the the accountants and you have the whatever right you got like a bunch of different sections and none of them communicate and if they only communicated you'd have way more efficiency and it'd be way better whereas the forest industry i think is pretty good that way absolutely i like that you just said efficiency in government when you're talking about the government <laughs> <laughs> pat myself on is the that back an oxymoron here. or is right. that i don't know <laughs> i think we do quite well <laughs> <laughs> that's funny uh, i didn't think about it but uh, yeah so uh yeah when we were talking earlier we were talking about uh like you were texting me about fire history and fire policy and just yeah what, what was your kind of thought process around that what were you thinking yeah i don't know i think when i was listening to your podcast with colin you guys started talking about a little bit how policy has kind of shifted over the years from yeah. full suppression to to let it burn yeah and yeah i just remember some of my lectures from university from dave mclean and just from being around and a bit of a fire nerd researching some of this stuff yeah i think it's really interesting how certain events going on in our world mm-hmm. kind of correspond with how we action wildfires and manage the forest yeah um the maritime what's mcft maritime college of forest technologist okay. in new brunswick yeah um i believe it used to be something where they trained military people okay but i know after world war ii there was all kinds of people coming back from the from the war and they didn't have jobs so they started training them as foresters right and we had all this wartime technology these planes and whatnot and so they took some of those things and converted them to water bombers and whatnot so we had all of these people and i think beforehand don't quote me on this but (laughs) i think beforehand we had a little bit more of a let it burn policy but then we had all of these people coming back and we needed to employ these people and we had all this technology and equipment and yeah. needed to put it to use. So we started uh, actively fighting forest fires a little bit more. And probably and, also because we were expanding more into the wilderness as people, right? Like populations were moving, villages and, and, and towns and stuff were slowly getting into the wilderness. So there was more of a need to protect too, yeah. I would imagine, right? Yeah, absolutely. So. As as technology and as we push into the forest, as as that progresses, then we yeah. definitely need to be out there protecting yeah. the resources and, and our values for sure. Yeah. And that's like that was after World War Two, you figure, eh? like yeah. 50s. I remember listening to uh, I went to a Forest History Association meeting, mm-hmm. and they were talking about that kind of stuff. It's interesting the history behind there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think the the states followed a, a similar suit or a similar pathway as, as we did there at around the same time. Yeah. And then something happened where they went back to. Uh, let it burn policy right and then there was the big fire in Yellowstone I think in the 80s sometime Mm -hmm. late 80s 
and it burned half the park down. Yeah. And people saw that, and of course they didn't like that. That's the pristine wilderness that yep. they're protecting, yep. and they let it burn. And people, similar to a cut block, people don't like seeing this swath of forest just kind of yeah. mowed down, whether it be by uh, logging equipment or by a fire. They don't it's like seeing that. They like going to their yeah. nice lush forest. It's funny whether it's logging equipment or a fire, they're still blaming people. That's right, it, right. Yeah. No matter what it is, it's always the person's fault. You should have put out that fire. You shouldn't have cut that. Or yeah. there's there's purposes for these management tools, right? And people, yeah, it's it's hard to get people to understand, which is hopefully that's kind of the purpose of this podcast, kind of get people on the same page, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> there's been all kinds of studies, and anyone that's been to Yellowstone in the last decade has seen that. Yep. There was destruction, and now you know. The wildlife is thriving. Yeah, the forest is time. the forest. The ecosystem is thriving. Yeah. all kinds of things are, are doing so so well. Yeah, and you can't credit it to a f- the fire itself. You just credit it to the natural process. Yeah, no, exactly. And like the yeah, and people, the fires like places like BC right now they're going up, right? Like that's mm-hmm. that, that's an extreme event. Like these things don't happen often, mm-hmm. but when like they but they do happen they're natural events like you said they they happen every so often for the forest to rejuvenate itself that's how it clean cleanses itself and kind of starts anew right and that's how you keep biodiversity out there right because like if you just have this homogeneous forest and it's it looks really pretty and you got all these nice old drilled trees and everything's just looks picturesque right yeah you don't have a lot of biodiversity of habitat right so you don't have a lot of options you're going to have a lot of ungulates that might starve because they can't they don't find any new shoots to chew on or whatever right so it's yeah it's interesting that it's just a misconception i guess of people seeing burns and thinking like oh that's like that's a bad thing it's like well no it's natural like it's supposed to happen you come back in five years time and it's going to be depending on whether you burnt pine or aspen or whatever it is you're going to have whatever 30 or 100,000 shoots a hectare popping back up growing so fast because they you know they got so much space and opportunity to grow right absolutely yeah yeah Yeah. you mentioned it when you were talking to Colin it's just natural succession yeah are you going to get your fireweed and your your quick growers back your fireweed your aspen or your pine whatever is going to come first and then your your more shade tolerant species are going to come up underneath and eventually take over yeah and then those are one day going to burn. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's what <laughs> it does. And then it starts all over. Yeah, and, and who knows, right? It might be, that might burn in 50 years or it might burn in 150 years or 300 years or 300 years is a bit much for Alberta, but yeah, they're out there. <laughs> yeah, it all depends on the forest type. I yeah. think what we're seeing in BC is a slight result of something that we were talking about briefly there is climate change yeah. and also a slight result of forest management practices where every forest type we're we typically worked in the boreal yeah. and it has a certain fire regime. So it's supposed to burn with a certain intensity and uh, cert- so a certain severity and a certain kind of time interval it's supposed to burn. Yeah. And same thing with the forest in PC. So you're yeah. looking at a lot of the interior. It's kind of the shrubby desert land yeah. around um, Lytton and Kamloops and Kelowna. Mm-hmm. I believe there it's supposed to burn more frequently and less severe, less severely. So right. Low, low intensity burns, but not, yeah. But high, high uh, frequency. Yeah. So they haven't been getting that many fires, partially because of the expansion of people into that wildland urban interface. Right. Uh, it makes it more risky to burn around there right. because of the consequences. Yeah. And also, like you said, people like their big, tall pine trees and uh, kind <sighs> of their old growth stage forest. Yeah. So now you just get this buildup and accumulation of forest fuels. Yeah. And then you get a super hot, dry summer like we had or well, they had in BC this year. Yeah. And well, I'm pine beetle too. The pine beetle ran around yeah. through there, for, you know, whatever, five, ten years ago. And mm-hmm. half the trees in BC, it seems like I don't know how many exactly, but like a lot of them, millions are, and millions. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're they're standing dry matchsticks, just ready to blow up, right? So it's yeah, it was it's it's kind of the perfect storm over there, and it's horrible. I just heard yesterday there was another 62 homes burned um, in one community, and there was a bunch of you know just around the community that burned, and like lots of people are losing their homes and are evacuated and. It's so brutal. It's, but it's, it's devastating. It's yeah. fighting Mother Nature. Yeah. It's it. You'd have just as good a chance trying to stop, like, that Hurricane Irma. That's today. right. Like it's you're not. You, you you do what you can. You try and steer it right. You get into it at the nighttime when it's, when it's when the flames are down. And it's less intense. You maybe get some cats in there, some uh, bulldozers to try and make a fire break, or you bomb it, or whatever it is you do to try and stop it. Right. But it's. In the end, of the, when morning comes, you're just kind of holding your fingers, going, "I hope, I hope this works. I hope this works." And <laughs> yeah. It's just there's not much you can do with a fire that's got you know four kilometers of of a firehead. 
Yeah. It was just like, what, how do you, what do you do with that? Right. Yeah. I just saw an article yesterday and it was, uh, I love stats, especially about fires. Yeah. I'm a baseball guy. So I love stats <laughs> and there were some stats about the Fort McMurray fire, about the size of it mm-hmm. and the highest recorded temperature, whether it was the, the highest or not, but the highest recorded temperature during that fire was a thousand degrees Celsius. How did they get that? I don't exactly know. Maybe th- maybe through <laughs> like an it, through a weather station or maybe something? through like an infrared camera oh, or maybe, scanner or something the like that. Camera. Yeah, yeah. Possibly. I'm not exactly sure that's how the, how it. they got it, that's but a thousand degrees Celsius. I mean, that's ridiculous. You could take your fire hose and spray it on it all you want, but it's not even going to get within 20 feet of it. It's just going to evaporate immediately. Exactly. Yeah. And so will you. So yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah. it's tough to get too close to that. It's yeah. Gonna, yeah. It's going to melt your cat that you're trying to run around <sighs> it. So that's why you do night operations and things like that. Thousand degrees. That's insane. Yeah. I can't even imagine what like that's. How hot's the sun? <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be close to that. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much, it looks like it, and I, I don't know what the sun sounds like, but yeah, when you're oh, when man. you're close to a fire, if you're flying a circle around it, or just a clump of trees takes off and torches off close to you, yeah. I mean, the sound of a fire, it's it makes it makes a lot a lot a lot of noise. Sounds like a dragon, man. Like I I remember one time uh, we had a rookie with us, and we got to this fire that had been improperly cat guarded so i'll explain a cat guard for people that don't know that um a fire happens it's big enough uh managers will bring in bring in dozers and they will make a blade width or a few blade widths of they'll clear up a space around the edge of the fire so that when the flames kick up in the morning they're not going to cross the fire barrier right that makes sense yeah pretty much yeah they can either tight line it or leave a little bit of space and burn out from the guard but yeah. yeah Yeah, so yeah, it could be any of those things. And uh, so this one was done improperly. It wasn't done close enough to the, the fire. And the reason that's a problem, you know, but like I said, I got to talk to the people. The third yeah. the third random person in the room that we can't see or that's hear. Right, yeah. Got to talk to that guy or girl or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, they didn't have it close enough to the, to the boundary. So that leaves enough room for the fire to catch again, build up steam, get into the crown again, and then cross the fire barrier. So I was on a fire. And me and a buddy were watching this this one piece, and they had kind of it was a chunk of black spruce, right? Which is like I was saying before, it has low hanging branches. It's a perfect ladder fuel, right? And they left a, a giant chunk, probably twenty feet, in between the cat guard and the fire. And we were trying to dig it out where we could, right? We just we, we didn't have any water yet. We're still waiting for water, so we were just kind of digging it out with our shovels and stuff. And we did what we could, and I was like, "This is going to take off at three o'clock." And you know, the rookie just looked at me, he's like, "What, like?" Why do you say that? I'm like, it's going to take off at three o'clock. Like it's, it's hot. It's 11 o'clock now. It's already starting to like ember. Like we, we did what we could, but I was like, it's going to take off at three o'clock. Yeah, you start moving into peak burn. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So that's just low humidity and yeah, peak burn time. And sure enough, I think it was like two 30. I, I just hear. <laughs> right. And I, I'm like, what the hell is that? And they're like, oh no. And I looked around, right. Look behind me. Yeah. Sure. Shit. It, it had jumped the fire guard and it was taken off. Right. Yeah. And. I just I grabbed, or I didn't grab, but I told him to come into the into the black part, right, where you're not going to get, you know, there's no chance of it coming back on your less chance, right? Mm-hmm. And we just stood there and watched it, and I just contacted the head, and I was like, yeah, so uh, we're going to need some more water and some more resources because it's taken off. <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe send those tankers, please. Yeah, we were standing right next to it. I think we were 100 kilom- or 100 meters away from it when it yeah. started picking up. Yeah. And, yeah, it just sounds, it's, it's, it's like a, it's like this vibration, like this deep, Base vibration and like you can feel it in your heart is right? <laughs> right. It's weird. Yeah, you can it's, feel the power. Yeah, it's it's insane to be close to that and you're just looking at it like, oh my god, like this is terrifying. Right? Yeah, it is a little terrifying, especially the first couple times, and you feel maybe a little helpless. But I think it's so cool. It's it's unfortunate when things like that happen. You want to you're there to do a job and, well, yeah, and stop the fire, but yeah. it's really interesting and you do learn a lot as a fire person observing that fire behavior. Huge, and you have kind of the theory in your mind right you said mm-hmm. oh, around three o'clock this is going to take off so you you know the humidity's dropping the temperature's climbing mm-hmm. solar radiation's getting really strong so you know this and then to see, see the effect happen? of that to see it to see it happen to see it spread yeah. and to move and to grow i felt and pretty good about myself <laughs> <laughs> nailed it eh? yeah nailed it uh, that's pretty funny yeah, yeah. we al- always used to make bets if a lightning storm was predicted or something like yeah. that we were sitting on man up we would try to predict a time when we would get dispatched to a fire did you ever, did you make- ever watch the clouds take bets oh, on clouds absolutely yeah. yeah i used to always do that i used to love yeah. doing that I'd be like that's my horse right there and just kind of point at that one right and they're yeah. waiting for it to envelope or drop or see what's going to happen right yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. it's it's a yeah 
it's a fun job, and I'm sure people if people from BC are listening to this. They're probably pissed right now. That we're talking exactly. gloriously about wildfire, but they're probably exhausted. Yeah, I yeah, it's a brutal one. It's it. Yeah, it's 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 hard to, to navigate this 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 conversation, right? Because it's you want to acknowledge that it's it's natural and it's going to happen, and we not only natural but we need it on the landscape. Yeah, but it also is a destructive force that's terrifying, and and people die. Yeah, right? and people are out there working hard, very hard, day and night yeah. to protect people's homes. Yeah, and the fact that homes are being lost. Yep, it's just it's gut wrenching, especially being out on it. I know 2015 and the first half of 2016 there it was just f- fires yeah. all the time non-stop i was just getting on fires and the drought conditions that we had in alberta in 2015 mm-hmm. the amount of work that you would normally do on a fire in a normal fire year is not enough to put this fire out yeah and you want to put it out as fast as you can so you could get sent to another fire to go try to put that one out and it just seems like you're not making any ground you put one fire out and two more start and then yep. you put those two out and then three more start and it's just, it's really tough on the morale for sure. And yep. especially they've been going for months now. And it's its not easy on, on yeah. the psyche of the firefighters and the fire managers and no. as well as the community members as well. Well, people blame them, right? Like yeah. I remember during the Slave Lake fire, we were getting blamed for not putting it out earlier, right? Like it was like, mm-hmm. why didn't you put it out when it was on the other side of the highway? Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? And it's mm-hmm. like, they, everyone did the, everything they were supposed to do and everything they could have done. Mm-hmm. But it happened anyways, because it's... I was, like I was explaining before, that situation was a blowtorch. Yeah. It was I, literally a blowtorch, basically, coming across a natural blowtorch. It was 100-kilometer-hour winds blowing a fire across a highway. Like, you, you're you not standing there with a fire truck trying to blast water into it, right? It's just, that's it's right, not, yeah. You're, gonna, you're just going to die. Yeah. And it's just not effective. And it's, it, but it's, yeah, it's a it's a difficult situation to navigate. But in places like Fort McMurray, where, like, how many homes they lost, and it was, yeah, it's a devastating place. I just saw an uh, interview with uh, Kent. Ken Jennings. Jennings. Yeah. yeah. Did you see that one? I didn't, no. no. Okay, but he got interviewed, I guess, about the Fort Mac fire, yeah. right? And Yeah, and he was there, and just him explaining kind of what was going on and the emotions and all of that. Like, <clears throat> yeah, it's a it's a crazy experience for sure. Yeah. Yeah, wild. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, so um, what else can we talk about? Fire. There's so much to talk about. <laughs> I know, yeah, I could talk for <laughs> Trying days to navigate days. it and make it make sense and not have it, like wander in the wrong direction or something right yeah um yeah maybe a little bit about some fire prevention or something like that yeah. what what we do preemptively to try to avoid these things from happening for sure um yeah oh, so yeah. Al- alberta has a big fire prevention program half of the rangers in the peace river forest area are dedicated to fire prevention right and we do things like uh, grass burning mm-hmm. at the beginning of the year i think you talked about that with colin a little yeah. bit um, there's actually, remind me to bring up a Slave Lake grass burning story afterwards. Okay, sounds good. So we burn grass in around communities, things that are easily ignited and spread quickly mm-hmm. and pose a risk to communities. Yeah. So we try to remove that risk. Yeah. And then we also do, within fire prevention, we do prescribed fire. So we do that for a whole lot of different reasons. Uh, we do that for habitat, for animals, and we also do it to remove the fire risk around communities. Mm-hmm. And what else do we do? And then we do fire smart. So we yeah. do thinning, pruning, uh, mulching, all types of different fire smart things in and around communities. Vegetation so management. To vegetation management. Fire risk through that vegetation. Yeah. Or, yeah, so species conversion is also another option that they right. do, moving from those volatile black spruce, white spruce, pine trees to to possibly like an aspen or a poplar stand, yep. which is a little more fire resistant. Right. So that's an option that they do around communities. So we're kind of looking as an organization or people in prevention to kind of triage in a sense the area that we manage so where is where can we do the greatest good and with our resources so we start there and we start around communities so next to human life communities (coughs) is top on our um yeah on the list of values yeah yeah sorry my mind's blanking a little bit right now but i pull it all the time So yeah, communities are, are way up there on things that we want to protect. So yeah, of course. So we're we're triaging and we're going around these communities and we're yeah um, doing management of the vegetation and all these types of things. So yeah, that's some of the stuff that we do before a fire even ignites to prevent uh, some of these catastrophic things from occurring. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And we were talking about uh, I just realized that the fire resistant tree species. Uh, let's get into that just just a little bit, just so people understand kind of maybe they're. 
<clears throat> thinking about planting some trees on their lot or something like that, right? And kind of yeah. if they want to be fire smart, what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so Brett was talking about like black spruce and and pine and, and white spruce and stuff. And the reason that those conifer species are are, are easily flammable is the the small nature of the needles is a big one. Yeah, moisture right. content is a big one. And moisture content. Yeah. So they're, so the, the needles are easily dried out. They're quickly dried out through heat and sunlight and even like, you know, radiation from flame or whatever. Wind, yeah. Wind. Mm-hmm. So they dry out quickly. So they're, they're quickly susceptible. Like you get a rain and like the fine fuel moisture content, you know, goes back down in like, you know, I don't matter. Two thirds of a day, I think. Yeah, two thirds of a day. The time yeah. moisture, time leg. Yeah. So the yeah. fine fuel moisture is, the, is just the measurement of things, what do they say, smaller than a pinky? Yeah, you're looking at your pine needles. Yeah, your pencil size are smaller, I would yeah, say. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So mm-hmm. those things dry out in yeah, less than a day they dry out, right? Especially if you've got wind and heat, it's crazy. Um, so those conifer species are super susceptible to that. And as soon as the fine fuel is drying out, then it just as soon as it catches, it's so easily caught, right, by a fire. And the and the branches are low hanging, so they're more easily used as ladder fuel and all that kind of stuff. So they're just that they're more susceptible to fire whereas and also like just moisture content of the tree itself i guess right like the actual like aspens and poplars they tend to be it, it seems like they don't have i guess the bark is probably the big one i guess the bark is not flaky so like the fl- like flakes on a spruce tree or a pine tree they're easily caught as well right they've got lots of edges it's easy for it to catch fire whereas an aspen or a poplar is more smooth it's harder for it to catch right yeah so but definitely the moisture content within each tree and mm-hmm. the pine trees and the spruce trees through evolution they are fire species they like you mentioned when you were speaking with colin there about the serotonous cones on pine trees they need that high heat to Mm -hmm. melt the wax on the cones and spread their seed so they in a sense want to burn they do so they make things conditions they make themselves more ready to burn yeah with the flaky bark exactly the the lower moisture content um, the latter fuels on the the black spruce and the white spruce So they want to burn in a sense when they get to a certain age, yeah. when they become making mature cones. And, yeah. yeah. No, yeah, totally. And that's, it's part of the evolution, like you're saying, right? So it's, mm-hmm. it's important that they do burn at some point because otherwise, yeah, you just have old rotten trees that are going to fall down anyways, right? At some point. And, and if, they, if they do do that, they'll have new ones coming up, but it's, yeah. it's healthy for the forest landscape to burn. It's, it's on a, it's on a time scale, right? It's supposed to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the aspen trees and the poplar trees, they're, they're yeah. more fire resistant. They don't they don't want to burn. They're the first yeah. species typically that come in after a fire. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So if you guys want, if people want to plant something on their property that's more fire resistant, yeah, plant a hardwood, plant a maple or an oak or an elm or an aspen or a poplar or something like that. That's mm-hmm. a little more fire resistant than conifer, right? Yeah. There's a lot of beautiful ornamental trees yeah. and some cherries or mm-hmm. some weeping willows or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. What do they call a weeping willow? I don't know. Maybe because of the the form of it or something but it's like that. Not a willow. That's true. It's a birch tree. <laughs> yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't know why. I was explaining that. that. Someone said that the other day, like, oh, we have a weeping willow in our front yard. And I'm like, you do, but it's not a willow. Why do they call it a willow? <laughs> yeah. It's that's... a weeping birch. Like, I don't. Well, there's so many different willow species. Maybe at one point they just Maybe said, there well, is they, one they, they saw it and they said, ah, oh, just call it a willow. Yeah, I guess. I don't, I don't know. know. Whatever. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Off topic. Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, you're talking about the, uh wanted me to remind you fire or grass burning story and slave yeah so <laughs> it's it's nothing like a super fun and exciting story yeah i can't remember where i saw the photo but it's after the fire had come through slave lake yeah and we had done some grass burning mm-hmm. along the train tracks oh yeah and after the fire had gone through someone took a photo from the air and you could see the path of the fire and the destruction of all the homes of course yeah so everything on the left side which would be the west side of the train tracks yeah uh, there was quite a bit of destruction of homes and then everything on the east side there was only a couple homes that burnt down and never crossed the train tracks where we had got rid of that buildup of fuels yeah and it was just black and there was nothing to burn yeah so uh, because it was such a wind-driven fire, there wasn't so much spotting across and so much flank growth of right. the fire. So that, you know, couple hours of burning one evening with made the fire department, difference. it made a difference. Totally. And it was to see the, the visual proof of that through this aerial photo yeah. was so... I, I don't know. I just thought it was super it's cool. cool. Yeah. It's, well, no, exactly, right? Like it's It goes to show what we're doing actually works. Yeah, it makes a difference. It totally mm-hmm. makes a difference. Um, yeah, yeah the, there was a story of a guy... Uh, where did I hear this story? Might have been in members training. Actually, I think it was in members training for Hell Attack. And they were talking about the importance of having a lighter on you as a firefighter. 
yeah. having a means to start a fire as a firefighter. And it seems like kind of like an oxymoron to some people. But so if you, so there was a story of this guy and he was kind of the strong silent type back in the thirties, I think sometime it was kind of the turn. It was in, it was in the States somewhere. I think you're talking maybe about the man Gulch fire. Yes. The man Gulch fire. That's yeah. the, you know, you know a little bit more. It sounds like you remember the name. I, I remember <laughs> the name of the fire and I, it always skips my mind. The name of the, the firefighter himself. Yeah. Anyways, well, he was running the like, right. You, like he was running a, a crew, right? I think yeah. maybe eight man crew or something like that, and they were on this mountainside fire somewhere in Montana or something like that. I don't remember, but yeah. there was a fire coming up. They got dropped off, I think, on the top of the mountain, and they walked down to it, which is already kind of a oh, I don't know, but <laughs> kind of a bad place to be. But they walked down to the fire, and I think the fire picked up speed somehow, one way or another, and. It was coming towards them and they couldn't climb fast enough. They couldn't get off to the sides. Like they were kind of trapped in a spot. And the crew leader being the strong silent type didn't say anything. He just pulled out his lighter and started lighting fuels around him. Started lighting like the grass and the, and the vegetation and the trees and stuff around him. And supposedly his crew thought he had lost his mind and was committing suicide. And they all just ditched. They all ran in different directions. They all died. He lived. Yeah, I think it was a little... I. My version of the story, yeah. whether it's true or not, the way I like to remember it, it was he had pulled his lighter out and he told people, I'm going to burn out and then we're going to hunker down here. Maybe, yeah, it might have been he, something like that. He yeah. was kind of the first person to have this idea or put it into practice. Right. And people said, no way, no way. That's what it was, yeah. And so, yeah, he didn't <laughs> he remembers do it. Mine. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure he told people that, like, you know, hold on. This is what we're going to do. Yeah, and some people, because they've never seen it or never heard of it before, yeah. I don't think there was too much science or knowledge about fire behavior back in the 20s or 30s whenever it was so he had done that and him and i believe one other person stayed with him and they survived and i think someone who was really really fast made it up over the ridge they did okay in this gulch but a lot of people perished on that fire yeah Yeah, it's brutal and i think the thing to understand there's those people that perished they weren't i don't don't think they were firefighters in the sense that they were like that was their sole job it was kind of like hey there's this fire and they rounded up a bunch of dudes and just like kind of he's like hey like they they had them some like basic training and firefighting and stuff but they weren't foresters i don't think or possibly i I don't remember the i don't remember either but i think that was part of it i think it was something like they weren't experienced firefighters right like he was just conscripted on they're conscripted kind of in a way and that's kind of what happened and that's it's, it's brutal but yeah it goes to show that those kind of methods work, right? Like burning yeah. out around you, it burns all the fuels. I guess I should explain it. We never really explained why that works. <laughs> yeah. uh, so burning all the fuels around it makes it much less, less. You're burning away all of the fine fuels. You're burning away kind of anything that might catch fire. And if you're standing in the black, the chances of the fire coming through that black is pretty unlikely. Like yeah, you could get, if you're on a larger fire, you could get a reburn, yeah. possibly, if it wasn't a complete burn going through. But yeah. if you're in a grass fuel type, like I believe in Man Gulch there, it was a grass fuel type. Right. Uh, if you take a lighter to that and burn off the grass, there's nothing left to burn. Yeah. So if you burn off a large enough area, you yeah. can sit in the middle of it yeah. and protect yourself from the radiant heat of the, the oncoming fire. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There was a story, too. I remember a story of a guy. They're building those... Uh, those fire protection like bags or whatever it was like something with like a the fire shelters fire shelters yeah but it was like it was like it was before they built those i think and this guy he covered himself in something as a fire went over and he got burnt but yeah. he survived mm-hmm. and it was the same thing it was a grass fire so it wasn't like it was a sustained fire it wasn't sitting in the embers for an hour he was just like a minute or two right yeah but it was enough that he got burnt but he lived and he otherwise would have died and so taking shelter he was like a i don't know I don't know what he had, a big, thick blanket or yeah. whatever it was. And he something was to keep that radiant heat and yeah. protect him from some of the gases. And, yeah. yeah, yeah, or something like that. And it's, so, yeah, like those those types of things work if you're in that situation, I guess, right? But Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, in Canada and Alberta, we, <coughs> we hope to never put yourself in a situation where you would need to deploy a fire shelter. We don't, no, we don't use fire them. shelters. No. There's one big difference between Canada and, and the United States. So you've talked a little bit about stepping into the black, which is a safety zone. So in mm-hmm. Canada, we have LACES. It's an acronym, lookouts, anchor points, communications, escape routes, and safety zones. Mm-hmm. So the black is a excellent example of a safety zone. In the United States, they have a modified version of LACES mm-hmm. uh, where they, ha- they don't have the A. So okay. they have LCES. Okay. So as Canadian firefighters, the fact that we anchor into a fire, we can discuss that a little bit after. Yep. Um, 
we anchor into a fire, which is going to prevent us from becoming outflanked or outrun by the fire. Yeah. In the United States, they don't have that. And unfortunately, on some of their fires where people have passed away, yeah. um, not was... anchoring it, if they had anchored into the fire, then it would be it, okay. they may have been okay. Yeah, may, yeah I guess you yeah. don't know. But yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's unfortunate. That's odd that I wonder why that's missing from their... I don't know enough about like American firefighting to... Yeah, I I I don't think I I do enough either. But a lot of our firefighting, we do do organization comes from the military. Yeah, um, that our whole incident command structure Mm -hmm. and span of control, and America has that as well, right? It comes from a lot of the organization comes from the military. So I wonder if they're maybe just a little more militaristic in the way that they approach fires. It's kind of a war on the fire yeah, maybe. where we like to manage wildfire and manage risk. I feel like at times, maybe at least how it's been perceived by me yeah. is that they're raging war on this fire. Like they're yeah. going to win They're It's they're going into a battle. They do also have crazier fires. Like they got some, the fuel types are way different, way flashier in certain yeah. parts of the country. It's a different sure. situation. Like I remember yeah. uh, Curtis Galling is a guy I went actually went to high school with too, but he was fought fire too. And he got sent down to, I think it was Montana. And he saw, he said it was 30, 30 meters a minute crowning Aspen. <laughs> which for people who don't know that is aspen insane. typically doesn't crown it doesn't crown yeah. generally you have it, fire hits aspen and it just hits the ground floor burns at all the fuels in the bottom and comes back out the other side and keeps going yeah but he said it was crowned there was no like understory vegetation really it was just crowning aspen 30 meters a minute which is an insane speed yeah and so that's kind of stuff doesn't happen here and it has to do with the type of yeah the type of ecosystems they have down there they're totally they're, they're drier generally more desert type so there's it seems more volatile so like yeah their their system's different and i'm not going to tell them how to fight fire and their fire behavior is and different their fire behavior well. is different so yeah but we can't but yeah so anchoring in let's explain what anchoring in is yeah so anchoring in you want to start at a safe point to fight fire and the purpose of anchoring is so that the fire does not come up behind you and outflank you. Mm-hmm. So a good safe place to start fighting fire is at the rear of the fire. Mm-hmm. And you start coming up from the rear around the flank of the fire and you yeah. keep kind of one foot in the black, one foot in the green, yeah. and you work your way up. If you were to just come in halfway between the rear and the head of the fire and start working towards the head of the fire, if there was a wind shift or anything like that, that fire that's behind you closer to the rear of the fire can come in around you. Yeah. So you want to tie into the fire, and yeah, so it's, it's an advantageous on. point to, to right. start your firefighting. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. yeah, because we could explain that. Like the wind shifts happen often. I, I can't even tell you the number of fires I've been on where we've had 180 degree wind shifts. Yeah, right where the head of the fire becomes the back of the fire and opposite. Right, and like you said, if you start at a corner or somewhere where you have options, that's like the safe place to be. Whereas if you just start on a flat front. Right on the side, the front or the side, the flank or back or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're putting yourself at risk for a wind shift, and you could be at the head of the fire in a second. You don't even know. So, yeah, that's a that's a yeah, it's definitely yeah. important. Yeah, for sure. and that's why you have your escape routes as well in your safety zone. So, you start fighting fire mm-hmm. at your anchor point. If something does happen, a wind shift, mm-hmm. um, your lookout's going to tell you, hey, the fire is shifting. There's a storm coming. The fire is about to shift. Yeah, you can retreat through your escape route that's cleared and flagged and easy to, to walk through yeah. back to your safety zone where you're going to be safe from the radiant heat of the, yeah. the approaching fire. And that's the number one human life, keeping everybody alive, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Provincial priorities. That's provincial what. priorities. Yeah, <laughs> blank from my mind earlier. <laughs> yeah. Human life and communities <laughs> a second. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, sweet. Um, yeah. Is there anything else you kind of? had your mind on anything else you think that the public should know i mean there's always things that blow your that 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 you miss right yeah i always think about like every time i do a podcast now i'll i'll go through and i'm like oh damn it i should have said like i should talk about this thing or this thing or that thing but like Mm -hmm. hopefully this thing goes on forever and i can just keep bringing people on and we can keep covering the stuff from this yeah 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 (laughs) yeah i don't think nothing's too too pressing for me i when i saw that you're doing this podcast i I'm a big fan of podcasts and I figured, Hey, like, why not yeah. give this a shot and be a part of something? And totally. Yeah. yeah I, mean, I think this is a great thing that you're doing here in Alberta and hopefully it expands and, and does well and gets some more listeners. And yeah, I'm hoping yeah. so too. It's, yeah. It's, it's, it's getting some, it's getting some legs now, which I'm happy about as people are starting to notice it. And I mean, it's only been going for a month and a half, so I can't yeah. say that like, why don't I have 10,000 followers? I don't understand, <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah, I was, it's funny. I don't know if I ever explained how I wanted to do this, but I guess I did at the first a little bit, but yeah, I listen to podcasts all the time. I love them, right? Like Hardcore History, Dan Carlin, and 
Radio Lab, and a bunch of other stuff. And mm-hmm. I was always looking for like an environmental one or a forestry one or something to expand my knowledge on forest industry and the environment and climate change and all these kind of stuff. And yeah, just, there never was one. Yeah, there's not. Every time no, I look up forestry, you know what comes up? It's like church podcasts or like for the forest <laughs> initiative or the forest whatever and the, yeah. it ends up being like about bible studies and i'm like well, what does the forest have to do with this i don't understand <laughs> but yeah it's, it's it's weird there was nothing really available so i was like you know what like i listen to enough podcasts and they're always talking like comedian podcasts they're always talking about how easy it is to start a podcast i'm like yeah it, if people can this. see this room there's a laptop and two microphones yeah, i'm and sitting in a well it was a storage room at one point but we're gonna we're gonna hook it up with some pictures and i think i'm gonna make get some couches out here and make it a little more comfortable maybe yeah. some headsets or something or make yeah. it a little more loungy less kind of official right i find we're sitting up kind of like yeah kind of it's, it's not bad this is this is pretty laid back but it's yeah i want to eventually get it to the point where it's yeah much more relaxed and just hang out and talk and have a conversation but today was good yeah yeah and i think it's great and you mentioned earlier here while we were talking about the public sometimes getting upset for certain actions or certain decisions. Yeah. And it's great that you now have this platform to inform people mm-hmm. because a lot of people are maybe misinformed or misguided or misled, whatever it may be, yeah. uh, because of maybe Fern Gully or whatever <laughs> it may be, right? Uh, a lot yeah, of media, totally. Disney. Uh, they do their best to yeah. portray a certain thing <laughs> and they're, they're pretty powerful Hunters doing are bad. it. Fires are bad, everything's bad. And there's yeah. not enough you know, whatever it may be, David Suzuki documentaries or forest professionals going out there and, and talking to people and explaining what actually goes into some of these decisions and some of these actions and what's actually happening out there on the landscape. Because, I mean, we have huge swaths of forest in Canada and we have mm-hmm. a lot of really highly trained professionals out there managing these resources. And a lot of times people just don't understand how it's actually being managed no. and they just see some sort of result and they yeah. don't agree with it because something bad happens and that's what they hear about. Yeah. They don't hear about all the good and all the forethought that goes into things. That's always the case, right? It's always, it's always the bad things that stand out. You never hear about the good things and be like, oh yeah, we potentially saved this town because we did some fire smart in the area. It's like, no, that's not good news. Yeah. Like, yeah. did it burn? No, we don't want to know. Right? Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's weird that we're, we're kind of attracted to that, that chaos side of it, right? Like, yeah, yeah it seems like media has gone down that stream however long ago and yeah if it works for them so you know where i think that apparently that started i listened to a radio lab podcast speaking of podcasts yeah <laughs> but there's a radio lab podcast about uh uh kennedy oh, okay and how he was like the first or was it well no it wasn't kennedy oh it was uh clinton sorry mm-hmm. well bill clinton and how before clinton Everybody knew that the presidents were kind of ladies' men and just kind of, you know what I mean? They're, like, it was just, it was just no, but you didn't delve into their personal life. It was about their job and only their job and their personal life was off limits. Yeah. And so apparently all of the reporters knew about stuff that they did, right? Notoriously, like Kennedy was a ladies' They just man, never supposedly. reported on it. They never reported on it because they're like, that's not news. We're not here for tabloids. We're here for news. We're to yes. know the facts, what's going to matter. And apparently there was a, a news corporation that was kind of going out of business. Mm-hmm. And this reporter came out with this, like, like why don't we run with this story? And they're like, no, you can't run with Bill Clinton, like, cheating on his wife Getting or whatever. Getting him out of handy in right? the Oval Office. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you can't, you can't do that. That's not news. I'm like, we're going out of business anyways. Why don't we try it? Yeah. So they tried it. And, and blew up. Now look where we're at. Yeah. And apparently, that, according to Radiolab, this is not according to me. This is according to Radiolab. That's what happened. I didn't check these sources at all. <laughs> <laughs> so don't hold me to it. But apparently that's what it was. Yeah. So... I'll believe it until someone tells me different. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so Anyways, um, yeah, I think I want to, I want to, the, the only other thing I want to talk about eventually, like, I don't know if we can do it right now. I don't know enough about it, but we should, I should bring it back on sometime. We should talk about kind of the climate change and the effect of that. Oh, um, yeah. We talked about it a little bit with Colin. I talked about it, kind of the gist of it. And we'll leave it be for now. We're already working up to 50 minutes here. Okay. But, um yeah, next time. We'll, we'll, maybe we'll think about it and kind of, or maybe if you know somebody who's like really into that because you're in that world. Yeah. If you know somebody that's really into that, we could bring him on because that's just something I want to bring on eventually. There's, yeah. there's a lot of stuff I want to do. For I sure. I want to do yeah. everything, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. The climate issue is a huge one. That's one I want to do like a whole series of podcasts on. I just, I haven't found the right people. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Just a kind of a brief thing that I know about it. Um, I think in the future, kind of the forestry and the wildfire side, if you're, <laughs> Well, I guess you're going to talk about climate change as a whole, but from a fire perspective yeah. and a forestry perspective, I think they maybe need to 
it takes a long time for management actions to come to fruition just because yep. the force grows slowly. Exactly. And I know here in Alberta, we have these kind of progeny genetic testing sites where they move tree species oh. from certain seed zones down south, up right. north to see how they do. Yeah. And possibly something in the future that people could work on, just something that I've been thinking about. Something that they could work on is maybe bringing more fire resistant species in that are still productive and you can still get your your lumber or your pulp or whatever it may be from that mm. and yeah i don't so know maybe just like throwing that out there for someone yeah really smart to to maybe go do a project do on or something like, like more native species or you mean more like non-native fire resistant species I'm not really sure uh, maybe a bit of both a bit of both mean. yeah yeah i think yeah, there, I, I think there's lots of research that could be done and yeah it's and interesting like the whole the whole climate change moving the forest like i remember in university there was a guy who came in and he gave this whole talk about how in a hundred years or he said a hundred years time or 50 years time the whole boreal forest is going to be up by like yellow or uh, yellow knife and i was like well that's not true because it takes a hundred years for like like the generation right. time is so yeah gapped right like yeah. it's going to take time maybe in a thousand years you might be right because the gen- they, they will have died off but yeah saying the parkland is going to move northward right yeah and that might be true climate wise but like spruce trees are pretty hardy and they're going to hold on that's right. So like whatever they can, right? Yeah. They're not just going to like die all of a sudden like, oh, it's two degrees warmer. But it is still a problem. Like it is still, it's going to change everything. Yeah. So it's not, I'm not trying to downplay climate change. Mm-hmm. It's a huge problem and we need to, to yeah. curb that, right? But mm-hmm. yeah, it's interesting because he was, yeah, that's what he was saying too. He was saying take things from southern seed zones and put them more northly, right? And yeah. there's, there's other ethical issues with that as well, right? Because like how do we know for sure that that's what that's the right move or it's kind of i don't know yeah some people say it's playing god or some people or whatever right and i don't know i don't know enough about that but yeah there's a lot of interesting aspects when it comes to that kind of seed zone and the climate change and moving it and yeah yeah it's, i think yeah up, up north by Yellowknife, we maybe won't have the boreal forest up there but no. the conditions could well it's a shield so yeah doubt we'll have a boreal forest up there but yeah yeah but yeah. The, the well i think there's boreal forest in the shield in there is ontario yeah. and stuff like well that, yeah but, yeah there is but uh, it's just not but the, the conditions same, right? would be right to host yeah. a boreal forest there whether the boreal forest is gonna yeah. be there yeah. yeah i don't i don't think well so, it's but. gonna take a lot of time right but it's i i don't i don't know i should i'm kind of speaking out of turn i'm saying my opinion i don't really know the facts behind it enough yeah, well, right that's but, okay too right yeah it's yeah. So I'll one day, hold on, people. One day I'll, I'll bring someone on that actually knows what they're talking about and even stop listening to my rambling. <laughs> <laughs> Although I'll always be here hosting the podcast, so you'll have to listen to some of it, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyways, so yeah, anyways, I think that's uh, that's pretty much good. So anybody have any questions for Brad or myself, uh, you can go ahead and send me an email. Uh, yeah, I still don't have any emails. I'm not surprised. But <laughs> I think it's weird. When, when, when I hear on other podcasts, like, hey, send me an email, send me this, I don't do it, even if I have a question, because it seems like, oh, there's this person that's like so busy in the cloud or something. Or something and like they're not. And I'm like, no, just I'm just a dude working in Edmonton. Like, I got time. <laughs> shoot me an email. Yeah. <laughs> shoot me an email. Let's do this, right? So, yeah, if you guys want to shoot me an email, uh, your force podcast or what the hell is it? I think it's called Your Forest Podcast. Your, your Forest at gmail.com. Or Your Forest Podcast at gmail.com. I forget now. One of those two. There you go. Or look them up on Facebook. And yeah. I, don't, <laughs> I forgot all of a sudden. I'm pulling a brain fart. Yeah. Uh, anyways, one of those two. And uh, yeah, rate and review. Share it with your friends and family and stuff. We want to get this out there. Uh, slowly spreading the message. So yeah. Kind of like, I don't know. <laughs> Send them a message. Yes. Yeah. Thanks cool. for having me on, Matt. Yeah. I appreciate it. Thanks for coming on, Brett. All, all right. right. Take care.